Welcome to the Possibility Podcast with Sarah Knight. This is Session 5, Talking Transformative Leadership, What It Is, Why We Need It, and Where Every Single One of Us Can Use It, with Somatic Therapist and Transformation Teacher, Ashling Richmond. Hello and welcome to another session of the Possibility Podcast. Today I have the pleasure of talking to Ashling Richmond. Ashling works as a somatic therapist and embodiment teacher in Galway City on the west coast of Ireland. There she runs a private practice and also operates transformative courses. She's currently doing a PhD in psychology and transformative leadership with Meridian University in Northern California. And it was on this premise that we decided to talk to each other today. Uh, Ashling is a friend of mine from my days in Galway, so this is such a great pleasure for me. And when she heard that I was doing these podcasts, she reached out and said, hey, that's totally what I'm interested in, and here's what I'm doing now, and I think we could have a great conversation. And I totally agree. So thank you very much, Ashling, for joining me today. Oh, Sarah, what a pleasure to be talking to you um, across the seas and just love that we're keeping the connections going and also that we can share this time and share our passions. So thank you so much for inviting me and hosting me. Yeah, thank you so much. It's so wonderful the way lives weave in and out and kind of run in circles, isn't it? It's really beautiful. It's been probably three and a half or four years since we've seen each other spoken. So this is really such a joy today. Thank you. Absolutely. I agree. I know from our previous conversation that we had last week and kind of preparing for this interview, there's so many things we could talk about. But the question I really want to ask you is what is transformative leadership and why do we need this now? Yeah. So thank you. Those are really great questions and big questions. So transformative leadership is based on a model called transformative learning. So I kind of compare that to, say, mainstream education, which is very much about learning about facts. It can be abstract, very reason-based, and kind of dissociate it from your own direct experience. So transformative learning very much comes from our human experience. So experience is key. And when we engage with our experience, we have the chance to learn, to grow, to heal, to move beyond. So I'd say essentially transformative learning and transformative leadership are journeys towards wisdom and very much holistic. So if we think of you know, for example, the left and right brain division, we have the left brain, this is very general now, but, you know, which looks at facts, logic, reason, technical skills, concepts, and principles. And then we have this other part of us, which is more to do with our feeling selves, to do with compassion, clarity, conscience, self-awareness. And so it's very much about integrating all of these parts of ourselves, transformative learning, transformative leadership. It's holistic, creative, intuitive, and very much about the human experience and how do we relate to ourselves and how do we relate to the world around us. So in a little bit of a nutshell, I hope that gives you a flavor um, of what transformative leadership is. So that's kind of the, the theory to it. And what does that look like in practice? It means people getting together. It means I can work with someone on a one-on-one -on -one level. I can work with groups. 
And essentially, it's about connecting in with ourselves. How am I in this moment? What is happening for me? What's alive? What's touching me right now? What's not touching me right now? Where am I awake, alive, engaged? Where am I numb, disconnected, suffering, in pain? Where does the suffering of the world touch me or not? So those are some of the core things as a transformative leadership practitioner that I work with with people. So I hope that gives you a little bit of a flavor about it, Sarah. Yeah. So if I understand what you're saying there at the end, this is interesting. It's also about the understanding that the, the, we view the world through our own lens and that how we are impacted by things is not a general experience. It's unique to everyone because we carry with us our own histories and perspectives and judgments and beliefs and pains and sufferings. And so it sounds a little bit like what you're saying is that transformative leadership is about doing your own work. Yeah, it very much is. It's about questioning who we are, how we see the world, and how we relate to the world and to ourselves. So how we see the world is very much a personal experience, but it's also a cultural experience. So say, for example, for myself, I grew up in the north of Ireland. So my cultural personal lens was very much created by being a Catholic living within a country that was in civil war. So for me, my lens that I was seeing the world through was that the Protestant person is other and I need to be afraid of them, okay? So they weren't a human being to me. They were some other person being who was someone I needed to be afraid of, yeah? So that was the lens that I viewed the world through which was created by where I was born and what my life experience was, what my culture imprinted upon me. So through doing many, many, many years of transformative practices, I managed to somehow move beyond that box, which was boxing myself and also boxing the other and creating a divide between us where I was sitting in fear, to be honest, of a lot of Protestant people. I hadn't spoken to a Protestant until I was 17 years of age. So transformative experience, transformative learnership and leadership is all about engaging with how do you see the world? What's your experience? What are the, the woundings that you've had, <clears throat> pardon me, in your life? How do we heal those wounds? so that we can return to some essential state which actually sees a human being as a human being, as someone who lives, breathes, feels, suffers, senses, laughs, cries, the same as I do. So instead of this label Protestant, through all the transformative work that I did, I was able then to see, oh my goodness, they are actually just like me. We're all human beings in this together. So a lot of that fear, a lot of that judgment and that, it, it just dissolved and softened through these transformative practices. So very much around working with how we see the world. What is our lens? How has that lens been created by, yes, our personal experience, our family experience, our cultural experience? And where does that experience keep me cut off? Where do I create the other? So that can be person to person. It can be male to female. It can be black to white. It can be human to nature. It can be human to themselves and their own soul. 
So it's really that question of how do I see the world and where am I boxing? Where am I judging? Where am I shutting off? Where am I disconnecting? And how can I begin a journey towards opening up to the other? So yeah, that's, that's it uh, in a nutshell, I would say. Beautiful. Okay. So this work, transformational leadership, isn't just about applying these principles to our political leaders and our institutional leaders and the people that we perceive to be in charge. And I put that in little bunny ears. But this is really about how we bring ourselves into the world and, and lead with our best selves in whatever capacity it is that we're being asked to lead. Absolutely, absolutely. So leadership, I would say, is not how we normally understand the word leadership as in the politicians. In this sense, I would view each and every person as a potential leader in their own lives. So how can I take leadership and responsibility for myself? So that can apply to so many things um, that each individual can begin to explore. So what's the connection to myself and my stress levels? What's it like for me to go to work every day and how do I respond to the pressures of life? And actually what choices do I have around that to support me to to live in a healthier way where I learn ways to regulate my stress rather than feel a slave or imprisoned to it? So how do I work in wiser ways in my relationships with my colleagues and my relationships with my loved ones, noticing all those survival fight, flight, freeze responses that can come up, which can create a more reactive way of being rather than creative and connective. So leadership for me is very much that call to each and every one of us to just begin to explore who am I in the world? What happens when I begin to look at the layers to myself? And how do I then begin to discover that there's perhaps more to me than I, than I imagined, that there are ways that I can begin to learn which support my life to flourish and support the others around me to flourish also. So it's very much about relationship, life flourishing, life health, and what are the blocks that get in the way of that? So I guess it's my belief that Leadership can happen on any level. It can be as simple as driving in the car, taking a moment to pause, really using your breath to recenter yourself so that you step back from suddenly a road rage moment. Or leadership can also be working within an organization where people are feeling called to affect change within the organization. And it can also be on the global scale. So there are people who are working on that level too, to really affect a shift in consciousness, in humanity. So it's really, it's about life on all its levels and whatever level each one of us feels called to respond is so valid and valuable to me. I believe that each of us has a unique role in this world from the smallest day-to-day moment to the greatest kind of global paradigm shifting uh, roles. And yeah, so to me, it's across the board. It's an invitation. It's an evocation. It's an invitation to become, to explore who you are and where are you being called to become? 
Wow, beautiful. I love the way that you explain that because something that is happening and that has an increasing likelihood of happening is a real feeling of disempowerment around the challenge that we're facing with climate change and everything else that that means. And I mean, climate change is just one example of a of an overwhelmed system. You know, maybe it's not climate change that you're into whatever it is, you know, but a world basically bursting at the seams um, with too many people and too many demands, a way of living that is not sustainable. And we're really running the risk of two things that, you know, and very relevant to what you just said. And the one is feeling totally disempowered. And this is way beyond me. And what can I do? And the other is the risk of separation. And, you know, getting to that point, well, it's not my fault. I didn't create this. There's nothing I can do. It's their fault. They're the ones that are the problem. They're the ones that we need to deal with. They're the ones that need to X, Y, Z, whatever it is. And I'm seeing that more and more in some of the things that are happening around the world. As Kingston, the city I live in, just declared a climate state of emergency, which I celebrated. And it looks like so far, I mean, hopefully, fingers crossed, the council is actually taking steps to say next, okay, like, what does that mean? All right, this is an emergency now. So what are we going to do? And what do you think we should do? And already the conversations that are happening on social media show a real possibility of some tremendous separation and, and blame and why are we doing this? And this is fear-mongering and then other people rallying to support it. And it's a little bit scary to see that happening in my own community. So could you talk a little bit more about that, I guess, and how some of us who are trying to step into our leadership capacity in the area of supporting kind of a new way of being more sustainable and more connected and um, more supportive of living in connection with the earth may be coming into contact with others who don't think this is a problem and think it's all a bunch of fear-mongering and it's a waste of time and it's a waste of money and what's wrong with us that this is where we're putting our energy and our effort. So what would you say in regards to that when faced with that real possibility of separation? How is that something that we can move through and still continue to be our best selves? Absolutely. My goodness, such an important question. And I think something that's going to rise up more and more as more and more people step forward, there will probably be that rising up of the other to resist. So this is such an important question, Sarah. I'm so glad you raised it. So for me, this is where holistic practices can really come into play. So within the transformative leadership programs that I offer, we work to cultivate self-awareness and also cultivate an ecology of competencies. So let me explain that a little bit more. For example, on one level, we're still the human mammal. We still work on the survival triggers of the fight, flight, freeze response. So say, for example, I'm out in the street and I'm there and I'm showing up and I'm trying to call attention to what's happening in the world. And then suddenly I have someone in the street who's in my face, who's like calling me names, who's basically saying, you know, like attacking as could happen. So this is where the cultivation of these inner skills, inner resources really comes to the fore. So if I was in that situation, I would notice this rising up of survival energy in me that may want to either run away 
or may want to attack in defense. And so I would notice this rising up of energy within me. I'd pay attention to that. I'd do what I can to let it subside. And then once I've centered myself, I'm much more in a position to speak to that person from a place of calmness, of compassion, but also truth. Yeah. So this to me is the cultivation of wise ways where we can stand in our power. We can stand grounded, present and powerful through the cultivation of skills, through the cultivation of self-awareness so that it's less about needing to force the other to change. It's not about forcing anyone to believe anything different, but it's about standing within your own dignity, your own authority and really coming from that place. And I believe that that is what can ripple out in the most powerful of ways because the old paradigm has been power over, okay? So that's not what the aspiration in my work is to recreate. <laughs> so to me, it's more around how do we cultivate presence? How do we cultivate steadiness? How do we cultivate calm? How do we cultivate compassion? And at the same time, there may be places I need to go where I need to unleash and just howl to the moon about what's happening in the world in distress. But there's places for that. When it comes to relating to the other, for me, it's very much around how can I do my inner work so that I can show up in the world with as much dignity, presence, compassion as I can. So we have examples of this in the past. We have Gandhi, who basically stood in the face of the British Empire and held his dignity, held his position, held his integrity. And in the face of that, the other dissolved its challenge, its oppression. So we have ways of looking to figures historically who have managed this. And I really believe that those transformative leadership practices cultivate those skills, cultivate that resilience, that ability to stay rather than react. And so that to me is where I would hold the intention for, for situations like that. Wow. Ashling, I mean, your own history and the fact that you have reached a place where I'm sure, would you say your transformational work is done? Probably not. Whose ever is. But if you growing up, as you said, in, in Northern Ireland, in the context of a civil war, where there was incredible separation, where the other was seen not even as a human being, just seen as the other, as the the enemy, the one that was against us and the one that we were supposed to be against. So if you have managed to do your own work and, and come into a way of being so that that lens isn't constantly standing between you and whoever you may come into contact with that sits in a different point of view from you, that speaks a lot to the work. But it's really interesting what you say. This is not about, I like that you said there may be times where you need to unleash and howl in distress. But the time for that is not when you are in contact with the other. There's time and space for that, for doing the emotional release work, getting the frustration out, getting the anger out. But when you're, in, when you're coming into contact with the other, especially especially in a situation where where aggression and increasing separation is possible. What is being asked of you in that moment and what you should be leaning towards is to stay in your center, to stay grounded, and to stay in that place of compassion and understanding that that person is just a human being too who also wants to be alive and see a future for their children and that their lens and the way that they come at the problem is just very, very different to yours. 
that helps me better understand the place that even I need to hold when engaging on social media. (laughs) This isn't about the person just standing necessarily exactly opposite from me. It's all of my interactions, even in the even in the virtual world. So look, you touched on on the historical precedents and Gandhi and the energy that he stood in the integrity. And I mean, the, the 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 length of time that he had to hold that energy as well. This wasn't just Oh, well, I'll try this out for the next few months and see if this works. This is, he had to hold this energy for decades. It was astounding what he held and beautiful that there is um, someone like that to hold up as an example. Are there other times, other peoples, other, other places that this kind of level of transformation was being asked of the, of, of the people, of a population? And can you speak a bit more to that? Absolutely. Um, I suppose just even to begin with Gandhi and to really question where was his source of power coming from? Where was his energy located? And Gandhi was very much a spiritual man. So when it comes to the human to human, I really believe that this wider sense of who we are in the world human yes but more than human is also what has infused these other ways of knowing other ways of being something that our post-industrial society has really lost touch with in so many ways so if we look to the cultures uh, throughout the world you know pan-cultural throughout the millennia what's common to so many peoples is this sense of locating the human as part of something greater and centering into a source that is beyond the human world. So if we look, take take for example, the indigenous traditions throughout the world. So I I trained within one for about five years and within the indigenous ways, your your source of power and your, your source of knowing is not just from the human world, it can be from the animal world. It can be from the earth. It can be from the, the river, the sky. It can be from the myths. It can be from the gods and goddesses. So this, this diversity, this ecology of being that human beings once knew themselves as part of. So just to speak to that a little bit, that you know, I don't believe Gandhi was necessarily what he managed to create in the world was just a human thing. He, to me, was tapped into the greater source of life. And again, if we look to cultures throughout the world who have achieved greatness, who have achieved massive social transformation, what seems to be in common a lot of the times is that there's this centering in something greater. So we also have situations where, yes, societies have transformed through violence and power over, but that's clearly not working. So where do we look to examples in our past where it has worked to some degree? So one of the courses we looked at in uh, Meridian University last term was um, Ancient Greece. Uh, So the course title was Ancient Greece and Transforming Societies. And we looked at ancient Greece as an example of a culture that transformed hugely, that basically created the seeds of 
So many things we take for granted in the modern world of law, mathematics, science, architecture, the arts, healing, <laughs> mythology. I mean, of course, these all have their roots back into ancient Egypt, etc. But it was through ancient Greece that this flourished to such a huge extent and really transformed our world as we know it. And for me, if we look at what were the qualities that allowed that flourishing to happen, it was a holistic consciousness. So it was that right brain, left brain integration. It was engaging with the emotional self through ritual theater, which allowed a massive catharsis of the tragedy of life, which allowed people to say, react, uh, to allow people to say uh, sensitive and feeling and responding because they had somewhere to go with their feelings, with all the parts of the self that don't make sense, but need somewhere to go for expression. And then there was also the part of ancient Greece which encouraged reason, debate, discussion, just like, you know, you're, you're offering with your podcast, Sarah, and that so many people are trying now to initiate debates on throughout the world. It's like that, can we discuss this? Can we engage in this? Can we give space to this? So we have so many examples in ancient Greece of that weaving of the masculine and the feminine, the right brain, the left brain but also the human being as part of a greater ecology of being. So very much the human being embedded as part of the mythological, the gods and the goddess, and communing with these other intelligences to inform and guide the human being. So when ancient, ancient Greece flourished as well, because it was open to the other, it basically allowed, you know, foreigners to come into the city of Athens to discuss, to learn, to share. And where they began to decline was when they began to become rigid and close off and actually begin to <laughs> envelop, embrace the, the hubris, the, the kind of belief that they knew better eventually. So there's the one example of where we can look at. Can we listen to one another? Can we stay open to the other? Can we learn? Can we be interdisciplinarian? Can we bring in the best of science, the best of healing, the best of ecology, the best of spirituality? Can we weave all of these wisdoms that we have access to today to create a regenesis of our own times? Yeah. So that's one example that uh, has just come across my way recently, and I just find it fascinating. And I do believe that we can distill those qualities that allowed that transformation to happen and apply them to our world today. Yes. Where you started there with Gandhi and, you know, where does his power, where did his power come from? And he wasn't doing it all by himself. He had tapped into something that he felt like he was uh, a part of, a greater source of power. Talking about the Greeks, again, a part of a greater picture of things and allowing for that information to come in. So it's actually seeing the outsider as a source of strength and a source of wisdom and a source of power and not blocking that out. And allowing, as you said, the Greeks allowed for all things. So they had those places for emotional movements and for sharing on that level. And then the places for the intellect and for learning. And, you know, so much of the way that you are speaking now speaks to a real understanding of knowing that we don't have all of the answers. Certainly not as any one individual and, and that the solution comes from actually coming together, not building walls and making anybody wrong and anybody right. And what, as you were speaking, what I was reminded of was the young Greta Thunberg, the 16-year-old girl from 
Sweden, who's leading a movement. And surely Greta, as she goes to sleep at night, must be tapping into some sort of awareness on some level of something greater that she's a part of. Recently, I saw that she was named as, I don't remember who who put this list together. Someone put a list together of the, the women of the year, the most powerful women or influential women of the year, and she was named on that list. And I thought, wow, even for her to sit there and see who her allies are, are so important for her to understand that she's not doing it by herself and that there are other leaders stepping right along beside her. But could you speak to this a little bit more? I mean, this this young girl that, you know, what's happening in the States with the Green New Deal and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and, you know, all of her female allies and male allies too, but, you know, where she's coming from right now and a lot of men and women stepping up to say, yeah, this is, there's a better way here. There's a new way here. So can you speak to the role, I guess, of 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 women, of the feminine? in what's happening now yeah so there's a quote by Einstein which says we can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them so to me someone like Greta really represents someone who's outside of the usual way of thinking okay the usual way of thinking calls us to look at the economy and the economical impacts. The usual way of thinking is something that's, I'm going to solve this through the mind. Yeah. So when we see someone like Greta, I feel that there's someone who is coming so much from her heart and someone who's just calling out the essentials of what's going on beyond the usual mindset, which can be quite confining. So to me, there's something around people who are not within the current mindset, who have the ability to step forward and to stand as people, as symbols, and who then can inspire others who are equally as important. You know, like a a movement is nothing without the group who are there to follow the person who's initiated it. So each person who steps forward is just so valuable within any of those situations. But one person seems to be able to play that role of standing forward, of speaking up, of taking that more front person role. So it's absolutely humbling and incredible to see. And to me, because she's still verging, she's between child and teen. So to have someone step forward of the younger generation is to me something which, again, is bypassing the usual thinking and reaching into hearts. It's like if children have to step forward because the adults, most of them are not, that to me is a call to the heart from the heart. And that is something that can touch and help to awaken. So I think we've spoken about this before, Sarah, that we can give all the statistics in the world. And those statistics might just bounce off the usual mindset. Yeah, it's the kind of addict's way of thinking of, I know this is bad for me, but I just, you know, I I just can't face that right now. It's too beyond me. So what actually can transform is when our hearts are touched 
Yeah, when we're really, really touched on some deep level by something. So to me, someone like Greta has that possibility. That's to me the role she's playing is that touching I feel in my heart to realize that here is someone, a young woman, a young girl who's stepping forward because she feels so strongly that actually not enough has been done in the world and she's calling it as it is. So yeah, it's humbling. It's powerful. I have deep respect and also, yeah, I feel it's a great wake up call. Yeah. You know, that's beautiful the way you have explained that. It's just settled something in me actually. Because this, so we are leading up to Friday, March the 15th, um, which Greta has um, somehow managed to lead a global school strike. So there are young people all over the world that are going to be walking out of their schools in support of um, climate change. And when I talked to my son about this about a month ago, because there was a proposal from an environmental group in Kingston that we try to support the school children in Kingston doing the same thing. And I approached my son with that and he got really angry. And he said, why is this up to me? Why are you asking me to miss school, to walk out of school? Why aren't the grown-ups walking out of work? And, you know, I've thought a lot about it. I brought it back to the group and they said they had, you know, felt the same thing or, or maybe even gotten the same feedback. And so what's happening in Kingston now is a strike of whoever, you know, whoever, a rally of whoever wants to come, children and grownups and whoever wants to come. But it did make me question, can we be putting this, should we be putting this on our young people right now? Yes, obviously there's energy there because Greta is stepping in and people are following. But are we really risking creating some kind of a trauma, an additional trauma in our young people who go, wait, hey, wait a second, not only did you people create this, but now you're making us step into it. And, you know, so what you just said there is, well, yeah, maybe it's not ideal, but a different energy is required. A different way of thinking is required. And maybe it's the young people are the only ones right now who can bring in that different way. They haven't grown up being kind of brainwashed into this way of living, this, you know, endless consumption and our needs so easily met at the flick of a switch and a real disconnect from each other, from the environment, from the bigger picture of things. So it's not ideal, but, you know, maybe that is the only way. And certainly the energy, the momentum that's gathering behind her would say that, well, it's obviously the way right now. You can't can't argue with that. She is leading and people are following. So I really like that you just shared that because it kind of settled that within me and actually I think will help to shape a conversation with my son around that. Yeah, it's not ideal and you don't have to. (laughs) And I'm still here. And I think that that's the other important piece, maybe something that you can address. How can we as adults, when we see these young people really taking the lead, how can we as adults step in to do what they so need from us, which is to hold them and to support them and to let them know that we are right there at their backs so would you agree that that's I'm just throwing it out there is that something that we can do and and how do we do that beautiful so I think in a way you've almost answered beautifully answered your one of your questions there Sarah I'll just echo back to you what you said hold them support Mm -hmm. them and let them know that you have their back So I really believe you've just answered that beautifully and 
Mm. I just can almost see the hands of the adult on the on the shoulders of the teenagers, just that feeling of just support for their calling in this time. And as well, what I'd add to that is, how am I affected by that? How am I affected when, when one of the children comes to me and says, what's happening with the world? And what are you doing about it? Yeah. So just how does that affect me? Do I go into powerlessness? Do I go into grief? Go out? What's my response to that? Okay. And so for me, there's that piece of, yes, supporting the other, but also it's my, my kind of belief, I guess, is, well, how does that affect me? And what are my possibilities to respond to that being affected? So that's the question that I would add in there as well as, you know, the holding, the support. It's also, well, how does that affect me? And from that place of being affected, I really believe that a call to some kind of response happens from that place of just receiving how you feel and being affected and see what arises from that. I, I love the offering there, the question that you asked. It's not about denying anything. It's not about pretending, you know, a false sense of, of strength and power and ability. It's about being really honest about, about what we're feeling and about what we're holding in the moment. And I mean, our, our young people, they know it all. We can't fool our kids. They know the truth. Our words say one thing and they feel the energy of the other. And so, like you said, if they are asking us, difficult questions or posing painful feelings within themselves and asking us to hold space for it, doing exactly as they're asking us to as best as we possibly can, but owning how it affects us as well, whether we can do that in the moment or whether we later have to go and howl and release that distress ourselves. So I love that question that you're asking, that offering. Thank you. And, you know, on that note, I wonder if now is the time you had suggested um, a gift for myself and for whoever is listening that maybe might help to guide me to that place of feeling what I'm feeling and strengthening my resources and stepping into my own transformational leadership abilities all that much better. Um, is now the time for that, Ashling? And would you like to do that for us? I would love to. So for anyone who is listening, now is the time, if you can, to just let yourself get a little bit comfortable. Ashling is going to just take us on a little journey for just a couple of minutes. So if you can, get a little bit comfortable. If you're driving, don't get too comfortable, but you can take this in as, as best you can. So I'll hand it over to you, Ashling. Thank you, Sarah. So first of all, I advise whoever might be driving at the moment to not do this practice until you get home and you're able to focus fully. And for everyone else, I really invite you to, first of all, let your body get comfortable. So shift around if you need to, if you find you've been sitting still for a while, maybe you need a little movement, a little stretch. And just see if you can begin to sit in such a way as allows you to release your weight down into whatever is supporting you beneath your body, behind your body, perhaps allowing breath in, breath out, really helping you with that, releasing down. So just let yourself take a few mindful 
breaths. Eyes closed if that's comfortable. So first of all, connecting with what supports you right now. Is it the chair you're sitting on? And beneath that, the ground, the earth? Is it a feeling of touch? Maybe your hand is on your leg or on your other arm. So just notice if touch feels like a support. Is it the movement of your breath? So just first of all, let yourself connect with where your supports are. And just notice as well, if the mind feels very busy, that's really, really natural. Just let yourself notice that. And even if you can connect for a brief second, ah, there it is. Don't worry if it comes and goes. So see if you can invite an even deeper breath to arrive into the body. And a letting go, a sighing out on the out breath. Just invite you from that place of being supported to notice how you are in this moment on all those different levels. Your body, how does your body feel? Are there places of tightening that you can invite to relax and soften? How's your heart rate? How does it feel in your belly and your heart? So you might notice places that feel well, places that feel uncomfortable. And as you do so, I invite you to return back into that which supports you, where you feel your supports are. So we can welcome this wholeness of experience, what feels okay right now, what might feel uncomfortable, stressful. And I invite you to imagine yourself part of a holding field from the supports around your body, beneath your body, to the feeling of the earth beneath, and how it literally supports your body just where you are. And I invite you to also extend your awareness to connect with all those others who might be listening into this call, to Sarah and myself, and see if you can imagine a web of connection so that the supports have a feeling of growing and as you sense into that notice how that affects you what happens so you might like to place your hands somewhere perhaps on your heart just take a moment together with hands resting on heart I invite you to sense a connection in whatever way that arrives for you. And we take a collective breath and release. So you can imagine that web of connection spreading throughout the world, 
not just to the human level, but to all life. Like this fine web that weaves and supports. And then when you feel ready, returning to your own heart, perhaps take one last big breath in and out. And we'll gently release. Thank you, Ashling. I feel relaxed and full and what a perfect way to end our time together. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. I've really, really gained a lot from your wisdom. So thank you, Ashling. Thank you so much, Sarah. And thank you to everyone who listened in as well. And blessings to each and every one of you. And thank you again. And thank you for listening. And until next time, remember, leadership is a quality each and every single one of us has. And it doesn't have to be leading a great big grand action. It's how we lead with our best selves in every single moment.